0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our Wednesday evening series on attitude. Tonight's sermon is entitled "My Image of Tomorrow" by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. World, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If you trust the chronology of the gospel of John, and I see no reason not to, those were the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples at the last supper of his life on this earth, the night before he was to be crucified. The most powerful part of the human brain is not the part that we can see, it's the part we can see, the part we cannot see. It's even true for a bodybuilder. You may think, and I I shook some hands of guys tonight that are lifting more than a fork, and uh, I'm still lifting forks, and I'm going to get there one day. I'm just doing the slow method. You may think the most powerful part of a bodybuilder is his muscles, but really the most powerful part of a bodybuilder is his mind. The Bible says you are what you think, and the old saying is true. You're only as old as you think you are. Age is just a number. An old man walked into a doctor's office and said, Doc, I've got to have a blood test. I'm going to get married. And the doctor looked at him with admiration and said, Married, how old are you, anyhow? He said, I'm just 92. The doctor said, How old is a bride? He said, Oh, she's 20. <laughs> the doc said, Only 20. You do understand that that kind of age disparity could be fatal. The old man shrugged his shoulders and said, Well, if she dies, she dies. Whatever that old man's eating, I want it. Amen. (laughs) The mind is indeed a powerful and wonderful gift of God. Unfortunately, we're living in an age when fewer and fewer people are putting their mind to constructive work. Someone observed when you are in your youth, you're too frivolous to think. When you become an adult, you're too busy to think. When you're mature, you're too worried to think. When you get old, you're too sick to think. And when you die, it's too late to think, but then you have all eternity to think. Peter understood the power of the mind and the importance of giving the mind the proper food for thought. That's why he said, gird up. Everybody say, gird up. up. The low ends of your mind. The word for mind in the Greek word is dianoi,a which is actually two words. The word dia, meaning through, and the word noia, meaning to think. So it literally means to think through something. You've got to think through something. Gird up the loins of your mind. Two basic attitudes toward life are in the world today. One of hope and one of dread. One of trust and one of fear. One of optimism and the other of gloom. And I put it on the board. If one can learn hopelessness and scientists say, psychologists say you can learn hopelessness, one can learn optimism. You can learn how to be a positive person. Some see when life is being good to them, they know it cannot last. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, something out there is going to happen to you that will wreck your best laid plans and frustrate your fondest dreams and crush everything that you hold dear. That's a popular attitude toward life. Fortunately, that must not be the Christian attitude toward life. It was not Paul's attitude, to be sure. He had experienced more than his share of sorrow and suffering. Read about it if you want to in the book of Romans chapter 8. He had experienced more than his share. But Paul knew that somewhere, sometimes, somehow, something good out there was waiting for him. And he knew that tomorrow would be a better day than today. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So he wrote, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He never said be transformed by the renewing of your heart. He said be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God made 7,000 promises to his people in the Bible. Or as someone else put it, the Bible is not based on a premise, but it's based on a promise. And that is ultimately where Christians' positive spirits come from we absolutely grab a hold of those 7,000 promises because every one of them are yea, say yea, and amen. amen. There's no nay in the promises of God. The only nay is from us receiving the promises of God. When God gives you a promise, it's a yay. Come on, say yay, yay. And He's given you 7,000 of them. I like what Zig Ziglar said. He said, I'm the kind of optimist who would go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take a bottle of tartar sauce with me. That's the kind of people we need in this hour. Some years ago, a full-page picture appeared in Life magazine of a devastation wrought by a tornado in the Midwest. And in the center of the picture was a telephone pole with a straw, like a hay straw, not like a straw, you get it sonic, but a straw driven through it. It was incredible. How could a flimsy, insubstantial thing like a straw be thrust through a rugged seasoned telephone pole here's the answer the straw was surrendered to the wind and it's awesome power the only way that we're going to make it in this last day is to be surrendered to the wind of the spirit and have the awesome power of God to be with us but greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world Back in 1974, Robert Ader was a a psychologist at the University of Rochester. He did a brilliant study discovering for the first time the role of the mind in the relationship to the immune system of the body. And he demonstrated what most of us have always felt, that the condition of the mind and the emotions can be a profound effect on the condition of the body. And so he discovered a new science that came into our vocabulary. It was called psychoneuroimmunology, the mind's effect on the immune system. There's a profound truth in this science. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you're going to be all right, most likely you're going to be all right. If you think you're not going to be all right, most likely you're going to get your wish. I've always believed that people get what they really want in life. Come on, it's time to throw away the negative thinking. And it's time to start believing what God can do and is doing in our life. It's time to see the future for what it is, a God thing in our life. Roger Sperry, I, I, I'm going to tell you a couple more stories. But Roger Sperry in 1981 won the Nobel Prize in physiology. And he was studying the hemispheres of the brain, both of them. And he discovered that there were new connectors that would grow from each hemisphere and connect when a new concept, hear me now, or a new language was grasped by that brain. And 34 years later in 2015, scientists have still used that philosophy and that discovery as a process of growth in the brain when new concepts or new languages are discovered. Many think today that it is the key to the control of dementia and to Alzheimer's when a person learns a new language. Now, I'm not saying go out and get Rosetta Stone and learn nine languages. But I do believe that if we... Quit the negative talk. And start talking positive about the things of God. If we quit saying, I'm going to give up on my kids and start saying, I still believe God for my kids. If we quit saying, you know, I can't get a promotion on my job and say, well, they found the best person in the world for the job. If we could change our lingo and change our language, there's no telling what will grow in our brain. I'm here to tell you, God wants his people to be a force in this world. In 2015. And we need to change the talk. We're not a losing team. We're the winning team. We are. Amen. Oh, I feel that. Now, I'm going to read a little text tonight. Matthew chapter 11. And then Luke 7, 28, the same thing. It's just a little phrase. Among those who are born of women. Jesus said that. It's an inclusive statement, among those who are born of women. I can't think of very many people it leaves out. (laughs) Jesus offers a summa cum laude of the highest praise to one of his associates, John the Baptist. Among those who are born of women, there has not arisen a greater prophet than John the Baptizer. What was it that was so great about John, this son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, this leather-clad and locust-eaten rustic from the hill country of Judea, the last in line of a long lineage of prophets? See, the lot fell on John to introduce Jesus to the world. So beside historic Jordan, John said, World, I present my cousin, your Savior. He didn't really say that. I'm just preaching that. Number two, doing this, however, does not necessarily require any large measure of greatness. But John did something else which does require a large measure of greatness. He said another thing that only great can ever say. One coming after me is mightier than I am. And I am unworthy of him. I am simply helping to prepare a way for him. And number three, an aspect of John's greatness that he could see himself as who he was standing where he stood with no tinge of bitterness or jealousy or self-pity. He could say concerning Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Say it with me. World, World. behold behold the Savior. There's one coming after me who's mightier than I. I'm unworthy of him. I'm I'm just preparing the way for him. He must increase and I've got to decrease. decrease. That's powerful stuff. (laughs) On the screen I put little people usually don't make good forerunners. It takes great people to make forerunners. Most of us are forerunners of something or another. But generally, we don't know what it is at the time. But John knew, and he was content to open the curtain and focus the spotlight upon someone else and then step back into the shadows of non-existence. There are dimensions of greatness, folks, in the character of anyone who can be a forerunner. I want to preach tonight that there are churches in this world That will be forerunning churches. There are places across America and around the world that will be forerunning churches. And there are places around this world that will see falling away as the future becomes unfolded to us. But I declare with everything that's in me, as long as there's breath in my body. This church will present Jesus every time we stand in this pulpit. And we will tell you there's one mightier than I. Who's preferred before me. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water. But he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge the threshing floor. And he has got to increase. And I must decrease. Can you give a hand clap to the one that really counts tonight? Not the preacher, but to Jesus. This church is a forerunning church. George Eliot describes certain conceited people as being like a rooster who thought the sun had risen to hear him crow. (laughs) Tennyson said, "Or one far off divine event to which the whole creation moves. No, forerunners are different types. They see something else. They see something better. They see something to be cherished. They see something to look forward to. It is He, not I, who will do wonderful things in the world needs to have done. John had a hope. John had an expectation. John had an outlook. But my text was when he was in prison 18 months later, he asked a question, a lot of questions. He told two of his disciples, Please go find this Jesus, my cousin. Whom I have introduced, and ask him, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? I wanna stop right now and say, with the stuff, and I'm not gonna get heavy in it, that's going on in our world right now. We are wondering sometimes, Is this really, really what's gonna happen in our society? And when they went to ask Jesus that question, he never answered them. He just turned around and started having church. That's what needs to happen to people that truly trust the Lord. We don't need to be concerned with everything that's going on in our world. Because God is setting the stage for one of the greatest things you've ever seen in your life. One of the greatest things you've ever seen in your life is about to unfold. And when the day was over, Jesus told those disciples, go tell John. The blind received their sight. The lame walked. The leper is cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And tell him, blessed is he that don't get upset on what time I run my business on. Tell him I don't need nobody to be offended. I've got the whole world in my hands. I know what I'm doing. It's going to be all right. The church is going to be okay. We're going to win. Hmm. So what about our tomorrow? Here I'm going to start teaching now. What about our tomorrow? What is your image of our tomorrow? Do you have an outlook? Do you have just a back look, an in look? Or do you have an outlook? And i put it on the screen. Will our questions trump our quest? Will our questions trump our quest? As you look out from within... What is it that you see in this hour? What do you see out there that's ahead of us? In Berkeley, California, a few years ago, a blind comptometer operator stood at a busy street corner waiting in hope that some kind person would assist her across the street. Sensing a presence beside her, she said, please, may I go across with you? And a man's voice replied, said, I'll be glad if you would like. Arm in arm, the two walked the street together. When safely on the other side, the man said, Thank you. When I was born blind a long time ago, I never have had that kind of assistance. I appreciate a favor like this. Both were blind, and neither knew the other was. Somehow I've seen ancient maps of unexplored portions of the world from the past. Maps that portrayed prevailing ideas of what lay beyond the untraveled lands, the uncrossed seas. Maps from beyond the adventures of Polo and Columbus and Magellan. These maps were so inaccurate. They differed so much than what the explorers eventually found. Hear me now. How fantastic and fanatical were the notions that the ancients had about what was out there. Like a dropping off place. Like the earth was not round, but it was square and it was flat and you'd fall off. Like mammoth sea serpents to swallow up ships. But as things turned out, it wasn't that way at all. You know, if Columbus had believed half the maps, he'd have never lifted anchor from the from the, from the the ports of Pallas. We are traveling in an unexplored land. I want to preach now. And we ought to be careful how we map it until we've traveled there. We should never let the future do things to us that it never has been meant to do to us. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, when he told his disciples, I am the way, and he'll tell your future, I am the way, he's telling the present right now, I am still the way. There's no other way except by me. He was talking about Himself. He was talking about you. He was talking about your future. He was talking about your journey into it. He was saying that He is the way all the way through this life, beyond whatever it is. Wow. Some days are darker than others, which means, of course, some days are brighter than others. If this was not, we couldn't make the comparison in the first place in the conflict between our future-related hopes and fears. The only way to keep control is to walk into tomorrow hand-in-hand in hand with the one that's going to go all the way through it. He ain't going to drop your hand somewhere out there and say so long. It was nice to have you walk with me, but this is far as we go. When my daughter was riding in a car in 1981 and her mother and her brother were taken from her in a fiery traffic accident she's the only one spared she was standing on the end today I always love to see her saying that's the one that kissed me no I'm not I'm not having an affair with the girl on the end that's my daughter <laughs> we went to a psychologist we went to get some help we were both hurting and the psychologist asked her to draw a picture and she drew a picture of she and me holding hands in a house in the distant future I love that picture I remember Abraham he was called to go into a land that God would show him and Abraham did not know where he was going but he knew with whom and that was enough let me illustrate two blind men I'm talking about people that can't see tonight each walking along the main street of town one groped his way, arms outstretched in wild motions of search, his feet shuffling tentatively as though they mistrusted one another. The other man strided and spring in his step, white cane tapping lightly before him as he went, his body erect, head held high in the posture of one who sees. The first man is so afraid of stumbling that he never walks, he only gropes. The other is so in love with walking that a stumble for him is only a very small thing, and both will stumble sometimes. But the difference... Is that one will do it with fear and dread. And between stumbles he will grope. And the other will do it without fear. And between stumbles he'll still walk. You can wear yourself out worrying about the next step. If your foot is going to find a banana peel somewhere you're going to slip and fall. There may not be a banana peel within 10 miles of you. You heard about the mother bear that was teaching her cubs to walk. And one said, Mama, which foot shall I put forward first? And she growled, shut up and walk. I'm telling you right now, that's great advice. If it works for bears, it's going to work for Christians. You hear me. There is nothing coming down the road in our future that's greater than the power of God that dwells in us. Boy, I feel like preaching right now. We knew it wasn't going to be easy. We knew it wasn't going to be a, 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 an easy path for us to walk. We knew in the end time it was going to get tough. But I'm here to tell you the power that's in us is greater than the force that's in front of us. And we're going to make it. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Come on. Come on. It's kind of like a centipede. Got a hundred legs. And Does it ever worry about which leg to pick up and then which leg to put back down? No. It just moves a hundred legs. Come on, church. We have about 3,000 members in this church. We need to absolutely rear our head back, look up to the sky, and say, Jesus, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep walking. It doesn't matter what happens out there. I'm going to keep walking. Yes, I'm going to fight for right. Yes, I'm going to do the right thing. But whatever happens, the church will still be the church. Hallelujah. 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 See, there's a difference between a painting and a photograph, and I'm not far from finishing because I know you folks like about 25, 35 minutes, and then I'm a pastor. The photograph is an actual reproduction of a scene. A painting is the artist's interpretation or the impression of that scene. The photograph is a record of what is actually there. The painting is what the artist sees as being there. You can't photograph the future. You can't photograph what isn't there and the future isn't all there yet. But we can certainly paint pictures of the future and we do, we do it all the time. So I want to ask you as a personal saint, what picture are you painting in your life? Clear or dim? Bright or dark? Inviting or forbidding? Or it may be a mixture of elements, but whatever the quality of your artistry, you're making some kind of image of tomorrow today. Because we are painters, we are not photographers We form our impressions of what we think things will be like. And we do not so much live by tomorrow's reality as we do our impression of what we think reality will be. We humans are a great bunch of picture painters. Not only do we paint our impressions of the future, but also the current realities of the world around us are reproduced within us. For the most part, we live by the images we form, the pictures we make, the impressions we have, The images, the pictures, the impressions of people, places, things, events, relationships, motives, intentions, and almost everything around us. a little data is fed into our consciousness and we construct a portrait around it. I wrote it for you. Many times our inward reproductions do not always conform to the outward reality. We paint distorted pictures. We give wrong coloring. We see in in the scene not so much what is there, but what we want to see or expect to see or have made up our minds we're going to see. And such distorted images are a major source of much of our world's sorrow. It's time that somebody gets your pen, your colors, and start painting the beautiful description of Almighty God. And what God's going to do. And there you are with a home in the future holding the hand of your father. That's what it's all about. It's kind of like the story that was told about a man who was a successful bill collector. He could collect old debts from people upon whom all other collectors had given up years before. Someone asked him how he did it and he replied, oh, it's quite simple really. I just, I write him one letter. And in that letter, I tell them one thing, and that one thing is this. If you don't pay this bill immediately, the thing that you, which you are afraid will happen, it will happen. They always pay. (laughs) Then there's a story of the fellow on a ship who was miserably seasick, and one of his friends found him hanging on the ship's rail, and the old boy said, Cheer up, buddy. Nobody ever died from being seasick. And the guy said, don't tell me that. It's only my hope of dying that's kept me alive so far. (laughs) Two amusing stories. One thing in common, an anxiety concerning the future. But the Bible said the sparrows give no thought. They give no thought to tomorrow. They just know that God's going to provide for them today. There's also a scripture in the Bible that says that God doesn't give you strength for tomorrow. He gives you strength for today. Why worry about something that may never happen? And you use all your strength today on worrying about tomorrow. You know the anonym of praise in the Old Testament is a, is a, is a Hebrew word for wringing of one's hands you either going to wring your hands every day and say, oh, God, I can't face tomorrow. Or you're going to lift your hands in praise and say, God, you're going to give me strength enough for today. Yeah. How many woke up this morning with a headache? Raise your hand. All right, put your hand up. How many woke up with a backache? How many woke up with a heartache? I'll get to it in a minute. How many had a toe ache? It's the healthiest church I've ever preached to in my life. Or a church that don't want to tell the truth on Wednesday night because there's too many people here. It does not matter what you woke up with today. You've made it all the way through the day because God said he would make his strength successful and for you today. You would have enough strength for today. Come on now. And tomorrow is just today the next. And tomorrow is just today the next. And if God gave you strength for Wednesday, when you wake up on Thursday, it may be tomorrow now, but it'll be today, tomorrow. And God will give you strength. And God will give you help. And God will give you courage. And God will give you resolution. And God will give you hope. And God will give you healing. Somebody help me preach right now. Right now. God will give you strength. Pat and I about a month ago got on a plane in Barcelona at seven o'clock in the morning. Flew to London, had a three hour layover, got on a plane in London, which was an hour earlier in time. Left there at 12 o'clock. It seemed like an eternal day home. We was flying for 15 hours that day, plus airport time. Guess what? We flew west and the darkness never overtook the plane (laughs) there are days in your life when you head in the right direction that darkness will never overwhelm you we landed at five o'clock in austin texas the sun didn't go down for another three and a half to four hours here in austin we never had darkness i'd look out and say well it's got it's got no it's not going to catch us We're running ahead of it. Darkness doesn't come at 550 miles an hour. And the way God leads his church, we're going to stay ahead of the darkness. You hear me? Now, you write this in your book. You write this down. We're headed to a city that hath a foundation whose builder and maker is God. And you stay in the church. You stay on the old ship called Zion. I promise you, we're going to stay ahead of the darkness. We're going to stay ahead of the darkness. One day, Joshua was on a mountain. He was on a mountain. And somebody said, Joshua, we can whip these people. We can whip them, but we need a little more daylight. And Joshua looked at the sun and he said, sun, stand still. Joshua was such, he, he flunked science. Joshua flunked science. The sun had never moved in its existence. Galileo proved that the earth rotates around the sun, but Joshua didn't know that. He said, sun, stand still. Then he looked over here and said, moon, you just stop over the valley of Agilon. And the Bible said the sun stood still for about a day. And they whipped their enemy. Here's what I want to tell you. When the church is the church on its way home to Zion, you write this down, darkness is not going to overwhelm us. God's going to let the sun stand still. He's going to bless the church with light. The light is still going to cause this church to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. We're going to be salt. We're going to be the preserving factor. We're going to be light. We're going to help people because the church is going to stay ahead of the darkness. You write that down. I say, Pastor, I, I, I just don't understand what's going on. I'm not even going to address it tonight. But I'm telling you this. Our view of tomorrow is that I'm walking with Jesus. I'm headed to a city. And I'm going to get there because God is with me. Say amen to that. There's two problems as we look toward our tomorrows. The image may be unclear, out of focus, confused, hazy. And the wrongdoer. Will foolishly hope and the right doer will foolishly fear And then the second problem is that with our image making Is that we do not view tomorrow as a long enough day or we do not consider enough tomorrows. Here's what I want to tell you there'll be more than one you know Good people need to remember weeping may endure for a night But joy comes in the morning Amen. On day one Jesus was crucified On day two his body was guarded in a sealed tomb so what? On day three, he got up. You can't make every day the same day. There's going to be days you're going to face it, and there's going to be days you're going to fight through it, and there's going to be days you're going to have to faith it. But I'm telling you, every day with the Lord is still a great day in life. I'm almost finished. The Mediterranean where Europe and Africa almost touched stands a towering 1,400-foot mass of rock called Gibraltar. And the ancient people who lived along the Mediterranean shores looked upon that rock as the end of their world. Beyond it was a mystery, the awesome and forbidding waters of the great atlas, the Atlantic. High on the rock of Gibraltar, so it is said, someone chiseled the Latin phrase ne plus ultra," meaning nothing more beyond. Then one August day in 1492, three small ships, the Nina, Pinta, and the Santa Maria, sailed, commanded by Columbus, loosed from Palace, Spain, and swung into the open sea with sails trimmed for sailing west, disappearing through the sunset. After many months, the adventuring explorer was back with glowing accounts of lands beyond the sea. And so it is said, someone altered the legend on the face of Gibraltar, erasing the negative nay, and leaving only plus ultra, meaning there is more beyond and there he is the church is in a unique place right now and somebody has got to be a forerunner and this church is going to continue to have church in the last days no matter what happens in our world and sullivan the teacher of Helen Keller liberated this deaf and blind child from prison of darkness. Once spelled out this message in her pupil's hand. The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. But just felt in the heart. Yes. Ephesians 1 and 18 said, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I'm here to tell you something. One of the, one of the afflictions of people with, with nearsightedness is called myopia. People cannot see far away. They just have close vision. A man went on a trip and had his camera set from five feet to infinity and most of his pictures were taken just five feet. He never, he never took infinity. He never took anything further than five feet away. It's important to understand that if he had turned that camera just a little bit, he could have took the Matterhorn. He could have took the beautiful Mount Blanc. He could have took the Mediterranean at sunset, but he didn't. All he saw was five feet in front of him and if you don't watch yourself you can bit myopic you can get myopic about where we are you can let things come in on you i used to i used to preach this when i was just a young man but now i'm an old man i used to preach that you could take a penny and if you put it close enough to your eye you'll block out the sun but if you hold it far enough away you can see god's glory here's what i want to tell you church we must not what well, tastes good we must not <laughs> We must not allow ourselves to allow things to get close to us so we can't see the greatness of God in our world. Our tomorrows are going to be awesome. I love golf courses. Let me say I like them. I like golf courses. I think they're the most beautiful man-made thing in the whole world. I've played them before, and I I played one recently, and it was a beautiful, beautiful layout. It beat me up. It spit me out. But I'm like the old boy that didn't climb Everest, like old Edmund Hillary. I looked at that mountain, and I said, I'll be back because I'll grow, and you're the biggest you'll ever get. (laughs) And I'll go back and play that course, and I'll beat it next time. But it was a beautiful place and on a particular hole we saw some vultures just flying around. And you know what I realized about those vultures? <laughs> they never saw the beauty of that golf course because all they're looking at was what was dead down there. And if we don't watch ourselves we're going to get the wrong vision in our eyes and our sight. We've got to understand that God has got the most beautiful thing ahead of us we could ever imagine in our life. I've got a future. Everybody say, I have a future. future. Now let me conclude the sermon. Okay, let me conclude it. He said, never has there been anyone born of woman that's greater than John Baptist. But then he concluded, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here's what I want to tell you. We've got greater people here than John Baptist ever was. He just introduced the Messiah. We have the Messiah living inside of us. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. Our civilization, one man said, is like a hardware store caught in a whirlwind. One man stated, I'm very optimistic about the future of pessimism. Elisha's servant had an eye-opening experience. Brother Gerwin, you'll help me. Come up here and help me, But There you are. <laughs> You've been sitting there the whole time. How many? Two or three seconds. Time is good. Did I call you up? No, I heard you. You got a great spiritual insight, my son. <laughs> I love that guy. Elisha's servant 2 Kings 6, read it when you get home. The servant believed the armies of his people to be hopelessly surrounded. And as he was wailing about the impending calamity, Elijah said, Lord, open my servant's eyes. When his eyes were open, he saw around about them mountains and valleys filled with horses and chariots of God. And he realized that they that are with us are greater than they that are with them. Listen to this pastor real good. I'm going to talk to you real plain like a dad now. Okay, you ready? Listen to me. There's nothing that's going to happen in this world that's going to take the presence of God away from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No height, no depth, no principality, no power, no wickedness. Nothing present. Nothing to come. Nothing. No creature living or dead nothing you are a child of God I know it's picture language Elijah ran from Jezebel went and hid under a juniper tree and God told him son I want you to get up and get going things are not all that bad and he did and they weren't so I closed tonight I didn't put this in my notes but I closed tonight I just re- turned over here to the back of the book there's a little scripture I'd like to read to you. It said, And I saw a new heaven, John writing, and a new earth. For the first heaven the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He'll dwell with them. of the man that steal the waters keep your hand in the hand of the man that calmed the sea take one look at your life and you'll discover very quickly you got to put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee and that concludes today's message please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news to register for an upcoming event or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.